0: Section 18 of Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Three Years in Europe, or Places I Have Seen and People I Have Met. By William Wells Brown. Letter 18. The London Peace Congress, Meeting of Fugitive Slaves, Temperance Demonstration, The Great Exhibition, Last Visit. London, August 20. The past six weeks have been of a stirring nature in this great metropolis. It commenced with the Peace Congress, the proceedings of which have long since reached you. And although that event has passed off, it may not be out of place here to venture a remark or two upon its deliberations. A meeting upon the subject of peace, with the support of the moneyed and influential men who rally around the peace standard, could scarcely have been held in Exeter Hall, without creating some sensation. From all parts of the world flocked delegates to this practical protest against war. And among those who took part in the proceedings— Were many men whose names alone would, even on ordinary occasions, have filled the great hall. The speakers were chosen from among the representatives of the various countries, without regard to dialect or complexion, and the only fault which seemed to be found with the committee's arrangement was that in their desire to get foreigners and Londoners, they forgot the country delegates, so that none of the large provincial towns were at all represented in the Congress so far as speaking was concerned. Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle, and all the important towns in Scotland and Ireland were silenced in the great meeting. I need not say that this was an oversight of the committee, and one, too, that has done some injury. Such men as the able chairman of the late Anti-Corn Law League, cannot be forgotten in such a meeting without giving offence to those who sent him, especially when the committee brought forward, day after day, the same speakers chosen from amongst the metropolitan delegation. However, the meeting was a glorious one, and will long be remembered with delight as a step onward in the cause of peace. Burritt's Brotherhood Bazaar followed close upon the heels of the Peace Congress— and this had scarcely closed when that ever-memorable meeting of the American fugitive slaves took place in the Hall of Commerce. The Temperance people made the next reformatory move. This meeting took place in Exeter Hall, and was made up of delegates from the various towns in the kingdom. They had come from the north, east, west, and south. There was the quick-spoken Son of the Emerald Isle, with his pledge suspended from his neck, There, too, the Scot, speaking his broad dialect, also the representatives from the provincial towns of England and Wales, who seemed to speak anything but good English. The day after the meeting had closed in Exeter Hall, the country societies, together with those of the metropolis, assembled in Hyde Park, and then walked to the Crystal Palace. Their number, while going to the exhibition, was variously estimated, at from fifteen thousand to twenty thousand, and was said to have been the largest gathering of teetotalers ever assembled in London. They consisted chiefly of the working classes, their wives and children, clean, well-dressed, and apparently happy, their looks indicating in every way those orderly habits which, beyond question, distinguished the devotees of that cause above the common labourers of this country. On arriving at the exhibition they soon distributed themselves among the departments to revel in its various wonders, eating their own lunch and drinking from the crystal fountain. And now I am at the world's wonder. I will remain here until I finish this sheet. I have spent fifteen days in the exhibition, and have conversed with those who have spent double that number amongst its beauties. AND THE GENERAL OPINION APPEARS TO BE THAT SIX MONTHS WOULD NOT BE TOO LONG TO REMAIN WITHIN ITS WALLS TO ENABLE ONE TO EXAMINE ITS LADEN STALLS. MANY PERSONS MAKE THE CRYSTAL PALACE THEIR HOME, WITH THE EXCEPTION OF NIGHT. I HAVE SEEN THEM COME IN THE MORNING, VISIT THE DRESSING-ROOM, THEN GO TO THE REFRESHMENT ROOM, AND SIT DOWN TO BREAKFAST AS IF THEY HAD BEEN AT THEIR HOTEL. DINNER AND TEA WOULD BE TAKEN IN TURN. The crystal fountain is the great place of meeting in the exhibition. There you may see husbands looking for lost wives, wives for stolen husbands, mothers for their lost children, and townspeople for their country friends. And unless you have an appointment at a certain place at an hour, you might as well prowl through the streets of London to find a friend, as in the great exhibition. There is great beauty in the glass house. Here, in the transept, with the glorious sunlight coming through that wonderful glass roof, may the taste be cultivated and improved, the mind edified, and the feelings chastened. Here, surrounded by noble creations in marble and bronze, and in the midst of an admiring throng, one may gaze at statuary which might fitly decorate the house of the proudest prince in Christendom. He who takes his station in the gallery, at either end, and looks upon that wondrous nave, or who surveys the matchless panorama around him from the intersection of the nave and transept, may be said, without presumption or exaggeration, to see all the kingdoms of this world, and the glory of them. He sees not only a greater collection of fine articles, but also a greater as well as more various assemblage of the human race, than ever before was gathered under one roof. One of the beauties of this great international gathering is that it is not confined to rank or grade. The million toilers from mine and factory and workshop and loom and office and field share with their more wealthy neighbours the feast of reason and imagination spread out in the crystal palace. It is strange indeed to see so many nations assembled and represented on one spot of British ground. In short, it is one great theatre. WITH THOUSANDS OF PERFORMERS, EACH PLAYING HIS OWN PART. ENGLAND IS THERE, WITH HER MIGHTY ENGINES TOILING AND WHIRRING, INDEFATIGABLE IN HER ENTERPRISES TO SHORTEN LABOR. INDIA SPREADS HER GLITTER AND PAINT. FRANCE, REFINED AND FASTIDIOUS, IS THERE EVERY DAY, GIVING THE LAST TOUCH TO HER PICTURESQUE GROUP, AND THE OTHER COUNTRIES, EACH IN THEIR TURN, DOING WHAT THEY CAN TO SHOW OFF. The distant hum of thousands of good-humoured people, with occasionally a national anthem from some gigantic organ, together with the noise of the machinery, seems to send life into every part of the Crystal Palace. When you get tired of walking, you can sit down and write your impressions, and there is the post to receive your letter, or, if it be Friday or Saturday, you may, if you choose, rest yourself by hearing a lecture from Professor Anstead. And then, before leaving, take your last look and see something that you have not before seen. Everything which is old in cities, new in colonial life, splendid in courts, useful in industry, beautiful in nature, or ingenious in invention, is there represented. In one place we have the Bible translated into one hundred and fifty languages, in another we have saints and archbishops painted on glass, in another, Old palaces and the altars of a John Knox, a Baxter, or some other divines of olden time. In the old temple of Delphi, we read that every state of the civilized world had its separate treasury, where Herodotus, born two thousand years before his time, saw and observed all kinds of prodigies in gold and silver, brass and iron, and even in linen. The nations all met there on one common ground, and the peace of the earth was not a little promoted by their common interest in the sanctity and splendour of that shrine. As long as the exhibition lasts, and its memory endures, we hope and trust that it may shed the same influence. With this hasty scrap, I take leave of the great exhibition. End of letter 18